The Third Turn Podcast is an ongoing resource for experienced executives in the third turn of leadership. Your hosts today are Kristen Evenson, a consultant and coach trained in the neuroscience of change, and Mark L. Vincent, founder of Design Group International and the Society for Process Consulting. Today's conversation is with Julaine Smith, founder and CEO of Ametra Advisors. Welcome to this, our 61st episode of the Third Turn Podcast. Our guest today is Jelaine Smith. In addition to co-founding Ametra, now Ametra Advisors, Jelaine also founded the G Corporation Incubator. Earlier in her career, Jelaine served as Division Chief Financial Officer for AT&T Broadband, Director of Technical Accounting for Pacific Telesis Group. I hope I've pronounced that one right. right. Operations Controller for the Intermedia Management and Senior Auditor for Price Waterhouse. She is an author, former radio talk show host, and she serves on several private and nonprofit boards of directors. In addition to starting her successful companies, one of Jelaine's more notable professional accomplishments was helping to raise $700 million in an initial public offering. So we have an accomplished person we're going to be talking to today, Kristen. And before we bring her in, I just want to say hello to you and acknowledge that you're here and that you're going to be sharing in this interview uh, with Jelaine. Yes. Hi, Mark. Um, and can I just ask, how how did you and Jelaine originally connect? Well, my memory, and Jelaine may want to correct this and give a better story than I'm going to give, is that she reached out to me somehow. She's in Seattle and I'm in Boise and uh, across the mountains in some fashion or other. We ended up in a, a phone conversation, probably a Zoom call, and uh, early on in the pandemic and got acquainted. And I, I really appreciated and enjoyed her perspective of what she wants to be doing after this very long and distinguished career. So, Jelaine, we'll just shift to you here. I'm, I'm especially excited to have you with us, and I'm going to lead off with a question that's going to get at the heart of the matter right away. So okay. no soft pedals, no, you know, get to know you stuff. We're going to do that as we go. But I just want to set the stage here. In the website you have for Metra, you talk about the business advisory services you have, and you say this, knowing how to prepare for the future can be a challenge. With our ongoing CFO, controllership, and advisory services, you have the business and financial accounting support you need to strategically plan for what lies ahead. Now, that's what that says. Now, here's yes. my question. Yeah. I believe many business leaders think of finance and accounting as a means to report or to show what was done in the past rather than to be a critical player in planning for the future. So can you give us some insight into how strategic planning and the role of a CFO come together for you and in your experience? Absolutely. I think that the role we play in that strategic planning process is critical. You know, there's a saying about being able to look back in your history gives you an understanding of what your possibilities are for your future. In other words, you need to know where you've been in order to be able to determine where you're going. And as a CFO in the strategic planning process, we help the business owner to bring words and numbers to their vision for where they're going. And we do that by leaning on understanding of the metrics, the information, financial information that demonstrates where they've been in their past. So that creates like a foundation upon which we can build. It gives us information that is more um, statistical, metric-driven versus anecdotal, gut-driven to just support that wherever the uh, CFO, I mean, the CEO business owner thinks they can go, the CFO can come to the table and say, okay, based on our financial results of the past, based on our operational results of the past, then let's put some assumptions on the board about where the future is going to take us and then take the vision that the owner has and translate that in the form of a forecast for revenues that's based upon sales metrics, uh, pricing metrics, and an understanding of the cost structure that's needed to support the delivery of whatever the value proposition is that they're giving to their clients and their customers. So we can create that cost structure uh, in the in the way of actual numbers that tells the uh, owner at the end of the day, if you generate this much revenue using these key resources and activities, it's going to cost you that much. And your net profit at the end of the day is going to be whatever the result is. 
What does that do for this uh, owner of the business? It gives them a roadmap. It gives them a roadmap that they can use to measure and monitor how well they're executing on that strategic plan as they move forward. So it's a really important convergence of talents and understandings about how do you look at a business when you have a, a finance officer at the table with the visionary and the other operating team members, and you're starting to discuss what is our strategic plan for the future? And then the finance person can say, and this is how it looks on paper. Well, Julene, you have a really integrative way of helping business leaders prepare for the future, as you've shared. And I want to just pause and, and look back and reflect mm -hmm. a little bit on your own journey that brought you here. At some point, you looked like, it sounds like you were you know, climbing the corporate ranks. And at some point, you decided to take an off-ramp from um, moving towards a C-suite and help other business leaders instead. Would you just give us a little background on your own story and what brought you to that yes. decision? Yes, yes, we'd love to. So, you know, using your uh, vernacular, my first turn was very much focused on me being able to take my talents, my skills as an accountant. I, I love accounting, okay? When I was uh, studying it in school, I just thrived in that. I aspired to become a partner in a public accounting firm. I mean, that was my very first motivation, you know, when I think about the launch of my career. So at Price Waterhouse, I, I started my career after school and um, God had a different plan in mind in terms of focus, however, because when I was a light staff, I was pregnant with my first and only child. And my husband and I had been trying to have a family for about five years. So the fact that the timing worked where the first year I'm a light staff, I'm also pregnant. I I thought, God, you know, your timing couldn't be worse, right? <laughs> because when you have a young infant at home and you're also trying to, you know, do well in the field of public accounting, there's a lot of conflict in terms of your time and your attention. Um, so I stayed at Pricewaterhouse for about four years. I was a senior auditor and I realized there was just a conflict between my home life and my uh, professional life. and I needed more balance. So I left public accounting and went into private industry. Again, still focused on aspiring to really one day be that woman who is the head of the finance department for a large corporation. I had big business in mind and God was faithful and my career was amazing. And so I was able to accomplish a lot of my goals that way. And then one day, a faithful day, I just you know, remember it like it was yesterday. God spoke to me and he said, I want you to pour your love into your husband and your home. This is my second turn, okay? Because what ended up happening after that, now I'll tell you, uh, initially, I didn't like obedient. I wasn't obedient and just respond like that. Like, God, okay, I'm going to figure this whole thing out. I was like, no, Lord, listen, I got this. I'm working. I'm doing what I need to do. Home is good. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I say sometimes when I'm speaking, talk to the hand because the face not listening. I'm just <laughs> and God about two years or so later, he he turned the passion dial in my heart for work to off. Now this was mm -hmm. a significant emotional experience for me, uh disruption, if you will, in my career. And it was the beginning of turning point number two for me. Because mm -hmm. what I did is I retired from work and I became a stay-at-home mom and I went into a, a period of deep reflection. Asking this question, God, what am I supposed to do with my life? And now connected to that question is, Lord, who am I? Mm. You have to know who you are before you can really understand what God is calling you to do. And so for about six years, I didn't work. I focused on raising my, my son who I'd had, right? Light staff year. He was 10 years old at the time. And I said to the Lord, I said, you need to show me who I am. And that process of showing me who I am led to my understanding what God was calling me to do. And I knew that when my son got to college and I went back into the workforce, that I was going to be working for myself. Now, this was a big surprise for me, mm -hmm. but I call this the third turn in my life. And the reason I call it that is because it was when the Lord helped me to focus on outcomes and impact that I could have that affected people beyond myself, 
my immediate family, and the community that I did life with. In other words, he enlarged the place of my dwelling in terms of my vision for who I who I was in his kingdom and what he was calling me to do. And when he said, I want you to show others how to start and build companies that bring me glory, mm-hmm. then I knew that my skills, my preparation, the entire time I had spent in corporate finance wasn't just so that I could have a nice retirement. Nothing wrong with that. Wasn't just so that we could pay for my son's college education and maybe own our home one day. All those things that I had on my vision board that were financially motivated. And there's nothing wrong with that. But God had a bigger plan in mind for my life. And so I ended up going back into the workforce. I had to dust off my CPA license, literally, and to get it reactivated. And then I started doing consulting on my own. And one thing led to another. And eventually I met my business partner. We joined forces and we began uh, our accounting practice, which we have today, of Metro Advisors. However, there was another assignment associated with my work that I was also to do. Remember I said he wants me to show his people how to start and build companies. So that is more of a teaching, coaching practice. So Mm -hmm. therein I created the G Corporation Incubator, which is a platform that's virtual online. And it's really in its infancy right now. It hasn't really been fully publicly launched. I'm working on that, go to market. But the intention is to help people want to create wealth through business ownership, make a connection between that ambition and their understanding of God's plan and purpose for their life. So it's a way to have a purpose beyond profit for what you do. So now my vision for why I do what I do is connected back to my understanding of who God birthed me to be, who I am in his kingdom. And so I have a purpose beyond profit for the work that I do because I've been able to make that conscious connection. And that's what I want others to do as well. Jelaine, that is just a beautiful story and reminds me, honestly, I have a pretty similar story. And it just reminds me how grateful I am for seasons of work and how things can be reframed when we move from one season to another, you know, by God's grace and and otherwise just, yeah, it's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, we live our life in seasons. Mm-hmm. And as believers, we really, um, once we get a hold to that, I'm not saying that we won't have periods of panic and, oh my God, when the yeah. disruptions occur yeah. and the oh, seasons yeah. are changing because we're human, we all yep. respond that way. Yep. But the one thing I know for sure is God knows the end from the beginning. And he who's begun a good work in us, he will complete it. You know, he'll will watch over what we do to help it to grow. I know this to be true. And Hmm. so what we have to do is trust, have faith, you know, don't lose sight of our hope and our vision for a better tomorrow. And that is so important in those turning seasons when Mm -hmm. he's transitioning us from one stage to the next, because no one likes to live in the meantime. No one likes that intermittent time between I was this doing this, right? And now I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Going to my future, my destiny, creating my legacy. We don't like that. We no. have to have a, we yeah. have to believe that we will be able to make it through. Yeah. You're singing my song, girl. So I love to help people in those places based on my own experience of the disruption and, you know craziness yeah. that can ensue. So, um, but it can be, yeah. it can be really pivotal rich times. So Jelaine, you now, you know, have a couple things going and um, a Metro Advisors. What is a typical engagement? I mean, if you could talk a little bit about the work you're doing there, um, the contribution yes. you're making, maybe a couple, you know, stories that would help our listeners sure. kind of understand um, the contribution Absolutely. To the Absolutely. So Jennifer Bando and I, we've started a Metro Advisors. It's been, a, we're going on seven and a half, eight years now. We had a goal in mind and that was, we wanted to find a place or build a place for women in the marketplace, CPA accountants who uh, wanted to have a professional career, but also had other interests, whether it was they were a mother or they were a wife. We wanted to give them a place to be able to work 
and have that work-life balance. And so we put our heads together, we launched our firm. And the other um, very important attribute that we wanted to put in the mix was the ability to work from home. Because sometimes that is what you have to do, right? <laughs> and we, this is way before COVID and so forth and, and, and all the pandemic changes that happened. But we wanted to have a, a remote access firm, meaning that when we engage with our clients, we were not going to have to jump in our car and travel because we knew that that was a cost that we didn't want to have to uh, bear. And the accounting industry during that time was going through its own metamorphosis, its own innovation or disruption around the use of technology platforms. And so it was aiding the, the ability of the accountant to not have to walk into the customer or client's office, pick up that shoebox of receipts, take them back and process them. Hmm. So we took all the technology that was available to us and created a structure that enabled us to be um, to receive documents from our clients electronically. Oh, we called it at the very beginning paperless. Well, it's not. 100% paperless, but it's pretty close to paperless today, right? So we created the firm. And what we do today is we serve the small business owner. It's the startup entrepreneur who's well capitalized or maybe in the very infant stages of their business development. They may not have yet reached a half a million dollars of revenue. That's how small they are. They, we call them our babies. All the way up to business owners who are multi-million dollars in their revenue generation, you know, 10, 15 million dollars of revenue generation. So we're in that small business sweet spot. And what we do is we help the business owner have control over their financial management. Their systems are in place because we build those for them. We operate those for them so that they can focus on running their business. I call it make it rain, serve your clients, serve your customers, right? Deliver on that value proposition. And we will ensure for you that your transactions are properly captured, recorded, and then report for you so you understand your business by the numbers. And it's an amazing opportunity. I think we love what we do. We are able to take companies who are maybe just getting started. Like one client comes to mind, uh, was a young man who was a real estate agent and realized that that wasn't really his thing. It really wasn't working for him. And so he decided to hang up his real estate license and he went into agency business where he provides social media, digital marketing services to other companies. And when he first came to work for us or work with us, he was very young in his business. He was one of those clients who hadn't yet gotten to that half million dollar of annual revenue mark. But he was very in tune with the value of knowing your business by the numbers. And so what we did is we came alongside and worked with him to set up his accounting systems, his platforms, to help him to develop his budget and his forecasts. And he was uh, willing, a willing player. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. In other words, he devoted the time because it takes time to work with us, to document his assumptions, to create his plan, which for him became his marching orders for what he was to accomplish through the sales process. Very important. He knew what his targets were and he worked hard and he's gifted in sales and he's done amazing. So that small business that started out less than half a million of revenue is now embarking on the 2 million of annual revenue mark and has a very, very bright future. And this business owner, our client, now understands the importance of strategic planning around his finances and his, his strategy for his future. He knows that he needs to have that dashboard. You know, what am I, what am I, where am I going? Right. That's the kind of opportunity we have to help owners unlock their value so that they come to us. They have the, they have the idea. They have the business idea. They know that they have a customer segment that they're going to serve. They understand that part. But what they don't understand is how do I capture that value in the story, the words and the numbers so that I can 
be, I'd say, managed, I call it managed chaos, right? <laughs> I can be in control as I go through this day-to-day process. And then when you start hiring people, I mean, beginning of his business, it was just him. And now he has a team of about 20 people working for him. You're now in a different position as an owner when you start hiring people, right? Big decision. And so making it carefully and growing carefully so that you don't get ahead of yourself and you end up in a situation where you have to maybe pull back, you know, lay off people because you've overbuilt. This is what the, the relationship with a strong finance team can help you to avoid. And that's what we've been doing, walking with him to kind of keep things in control around the numbers. So that's what a Metra does. Um, most of our practice um as I said, it's around that small business community. We don't have a specific niche that we go after as far as an industry niche is concerned. We have clients who are manufacturers, who are creating products, shipping them in from overseas or creating them here in the U.S. And we have service business industries um, that we serve. So we don't have an industry uh, niche that we focus in. It's more of the life cycle mm-hmm. of the business. Yeah. So, well, I, I really appreciate that story, like that you brought tools and resources and a dashboard to this new kind of fledgling business. So as you, Jelaine, think about maestro level leaders who are kind of, you know, looking to the future beyond themselves, the organization that will kind of be operating beyond themselves, what kind of dashboards or tools or resources do you think it's important for that kind of a leader at that stage of their journey to have at their disposal? Yes, good question. You know, there's three things that come to mind. First of all, I think that it's really important to have a well thought through and documented business plan. I do believe that that is an important tool for leaders to have at their disposal. And annually, you should go through a process of looking at it at least once a year. You're going through this process of looking at what is my plan for the future? What am I going to accomplish next year? And make sure that those assumptions are documented in the form of a plan that you can uh, look back to as you go into the future. That plan will give you the inputs that you want to have on a dashboard. It will help you to identify what are the key performance indicators or metrics that you want to use to measure and monitor your performance as you go throughout the year. So very important that you have a business plan annually. The second thing that's important is having a strong management team. I can't tell you how important having the right people on your team is to your future success. Whether those team members are employees, whether they're advisors, whether they are outside contractors, you know, these are the individuals that you look to to help you to execute on your business plan. And so building that team around um, a common or shared vision, mission, you know, making sure they're aligned with their understanding of, well, what is actually in that business plan that I just referred to? And what is my role in helping the business achieve those goals and those objectives? Extremely important to you being able to succeed as you go forward and building your company and growing your company. So having that strong business plan, having a strong management team or a team of advisors and individuals who are going to help you along the way. And the third thing is capital. <laughs> I mean, cash is still king in business. You know, <laughs> uh, you need money to run your company. And so having the adequate amount of working capital is also very important for the success of your business. When you have the capital that you need to innovate new product designs, go to new markets, hire the people that you need, you know, pay bonuses, whatever it is that that you're needing to do in order to execute on that business plan, it just helps you along the way. So having adequate capital. So business plan, management team, capital, you get those things and you are off and running. You're prepared for your future. 
Well, Jelaine, thank you for scooting a soapbox over so I can stand on it and pontificate for just a second. You talked about the importance of this quality management team, which may or may not be an employee. They can be an advisor to you. And I, yesterday I was working with a CEO that's beginning to wake up to the fact that he does not have a couple of key advisors for wealth management. He doesn't have an attorney that's really helping them look at the future state of the organization. And he's mm-hmm. gathering those folks around him now. So that was just an example I thought of as you were sharing it. But all the way at the beginning of this conversation, you talked about how it's so important that the CFO is able to bring words and numbers together. And in what you were just describing, that's that's just it in spades, where you have a business plan that's clear about mission, vision, values. It starts to translate to KPIs and a pl- well, up to a plan, and then the KPIs that are measuring where you're going. And so you've that's got right. words and numbers that fit. And it becomes a problem when that's not there because you'll have maybe like a sales and marketing department in the room that's thinking about words, but not numbers in the same way that the CFO is thinking about numbers, but not words. And somebody's got to play that interface to bring that together and give it shape. And uh, I think it's just excellent. You've talked about that. But now let's move to this thing with capital and talk about CapEx and OpEx for a little bit. In everything we're describing, there are many people who would say, yes, 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 I know that, I know that, I know that. But if we pressed them and said, okay, is it in your boardroom when your executive team gathers? They would be embarrassed because it isn't. Mm. They they get it done, but they don't refer to it for the whole rest of the year until it's plan time again. What they refer to is the budget. Mm-hmm. What they refer to in the budget is their arena, their line, their little piece or something. And often it's just if it's for profit, it's on the income line. What do we have to work with? If it's on the nonprofit world, it's often, you know, how much have we spent and do we have the money kind of thing? And it's a crazy making scenario if you're trying to plan for the future where CapEx has to be managed. And I'm finding two issues here. One is where uh, people don't understand what CapEx is. Even if you say, what is CapEx? They can't tell you. Mm-hmm. And secondly, if they can tell you what CapEx is, maybe because they have an MBA or something along that line or finance mm-hmm. background, mm-hmm. they're going to keep postponing work on the CapEx, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that it's got to be addressed someday. They got to recapitalize things in some way or they got to account for it in some way, but they actually have to mm-hmm. keep building capital. But they keep postponing that and focusing on short term income and profit. So, can you give us a little help here about how important CapEx is, especially when it comes to future planning? Yeah. So, okay, let's start by defining CapEx. Because when I look at the word CapEx, I have a very specific thought in mind. Okay. For me, it's short for capital expenditures. So if we're on the same page, uh, let me give you an example. I spent many of my years in corporate finance in the cable industry. The cable industry is a very capital intensive business, extremely so. Why? Because especially the time I was there, we were laying fiber optic cable in the ground, you know, going to from the um, the head end to to the curb. Very expensive. And so there was a lot of money being spent to develop that system, that structure and all of those dollars that were spent at that time are considered capital expenditures. Why is that? Because they bring benefit to the organization for a period of time of more than 12 months. In other words, they are not consumed. Those dollars that are spent on those those resources or those activities are not consumed in the same period in which they are purchased. They have future value. That is CapEx. Operating expenditures or OpEx are costs that you are incurring in the current period and you get a benefit in the current period from making that expenditure. So when you pay for uh, employees, labor or contractors or your rent on a facility, et cetera, those are operating expenses. When you pay your sales force or your marketing team or any advertisement, those are operating expenses. Why? Because you get the benefit associated with that expenditure in the same period in which you make the expense or pay the expense. All right. So that's the difference. Think future period versus current period. Now, why is CapEx important? 
Well, if you're in a business where you have a need to have resources, key resources that are associated with the purchases of equipment or uh, facilities or assets that are going to have a future value and you delay making those expenditures for whatever reason you think, okay, I can do this later. You're only limiting your ability to execute on your strategic plan. Why? Because your business model, when you go back to the model, how do I make money? That's what your business model tells you. Your business model tells you that for your value proposition, the thing that makes you unique in the marketplace for your value proposition to be delivered to your customers and your clients, whatever market segment you are serving so that you can generate that revenue, you must have those key resources available to you. And so the capital expenditures are extremely important for you to be able to deliver upon that promise, that value proposition. And you have to manage that spending as well as you do your OPEX spending, because even though it brings you a future value and it gets a certain accounting treatment, and we won't go into that for today's podcast, but even though you you don't see those costs coming through your income statement, you don't, in, in the form of a one-time out-the-door expenditure, you get a depreciation line item in the future, you still had to pay for it today. So it's still cash that went out the door today. Right. So you can't ignore the fact that there is a real demand on cash flow associated with your CapEx. Now, that's the way I think about CapEx. Now, so let me stop and park it there, Mark, and say when you say CapEx, is that what you have in mind? Are you thinking something different? That's exactly what I have in mind. And I'm thinking about all of the incoming CEOs, uh, maybe someone who gives me a call and says, hey, I'm thinking about taking this job. I'm being interviewed. I'm being pursued. One of the things I'm encouraging more and more of them to ask the business that's pursuing them is how well they are capitalized or what their capital plan is, because they're going in thinking, what's the income? What's the size of the organization? How many employees am I going to have? And they get in there and then they're tripping over the fact that they've got to go raise capital in some way to cover the cost of a new roof or to get inventory fixed. And I can see you're ready to respond to what I'm saying. Yes, yes, because you're touching on something that's tangentially related to what I just discussed, and that is liquidity. And Mm -hmm. that is, do we have the cash in the bank today that we need to fund the CapEx? Mm -hmm. And if not, where are we going to get the money? Right. And it's so funny because I'm actually working right now in the incubator, creating assets in the form of teaching online training around this question of how do I raise capital? It's a huge question. And many business owners are facing that, especially today where, um, you know, in post-pandemic world that we live in, companies are finding that they need to reinvent themselves And what that means sometimes is to innovate on existing product offerings or to maybe expand into new markets. Um, Whenever you find yourself in a growth cycle or a cycle where you need to shift your, your position in the market, you need capital to do that. You need cash. Is another word for it. And whether it's it's money that you've reserved and, and retained in the business from, you know, the glory days of the past, you have you've you've had a good fiscal management policy and you haven't spent all the cash or so you have a cash uh, war trust that you can pull on or whether you go out into the market and look for outside investor capital. You have to answer that question of where am I going to get the money in order to execute on that vision to Fund your growth. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm, I'm doing a lot of work in that area just on my own and reading a lot about raising capital and, and, and helping others to understand that process, that approach. You know, how do we go about uh, deciding what's the best capital structure for us? You know, if we're going to go out and raise capital, do we go out and get investor capital or do we go out and, and get bank debt? You know, I mean, what, what do we choose? So how do you determine what that is? And then are you prepared for the journey? You know, do you have your, your financial house in order your story, your business plan, right? Because investors, whether it's a bank or a VC, they want to know what your story is. Mm-hmm. And it has to be compelling. Are you prepared to tell a compelling story about why they should risk their capital? Right. You know, 
are there, you know, anyway, I can go on and on with that, but yes. Yeah, and we could, we could actually have a whole conversation about this. This area is not very fun if you're doing it when it's crisis or you, if you've delayed a long time. Not fun. I was, I tell my, my clients all the time when they're, they're doing well, their balance sheet's solid and they don't have any debt. They have no relationship with the bank. The first thing I tell them is you go get you a line of credit right That's now. Right. You don't need it, but go get it anyway, because I promise you that you'll get it, number one, mm-hmm. and you just manage it. We'll help you manage it to keep it active, because if you need it and you go try to get it, you will get it. good luck. Banks yeah. <laughs> don't want to give it to you, you know, um, too late. Yeah. We're going to return to this conversation with Julian Smith after this brief message. Today, we're speaking with Jelaine Smith from Ametra Advisors. So Jelaine, really noteworthy that you had a heads up to start preparing business for kind of remote work with your concept around Ametra Advisors. But now, post-pandemic, let's say you're talking to a Meister-level leader who led their business well through the pandemic, but now has to restructure a number of financial business processes because of the hybrid workplace. Or perhaps, you know, some have chosen not to even reopen their office. What do you find yourself talking about most frequently in this kind of area, in this kind of issue? Mm -hmm. You know, the post-pandemic era that we find ourselves in, we've observed our clients doing a couple of things in order to address the hybrid work environment and the, the shift in the market. You know, I started with the shift in the market. First, I don't know if you've observed this, but finding help nowadays is a real challenge. And uh, the upper pressure on wages, prices that you have to pay employees is real to business owners. And so a lot of our clients are finding that, number one, maybe they can't find the talent that they need uh, in terms of hiring workers or they're having to pay more. We are seeing our, our owners um, raising compensation, whether it's you know giving a bonus or hiring people in at higher levels, just simply in order to keep or to recruit the talent that they need in this market, because the market is tight for employees. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about having a strong capital structure, having the liquidity available to be able to pay those those salaries. And then also we talk a lot nowadays about productivity. This is a topic that comes up often when reviewing results, because as the labor costs are increasing, one of the ways that you can mitigate that in terms of your overall financial performance is to be able to do more with the people you have. And that goes back to productivity. How do you measure how much you're getting out of your workers, especially when they work remote. So it goes back to the hybrid work situation, right? A lot of clients are allowing their employees to work from home and the employees are wanting to work from home, but how do you measure and monitor their output? And so we are working with clients on um, implementing systems for tracking productivity. And let me tell you, this is not a popular change for most businesses. When you ask people to start tracking their output, whether it's hours worked through time management systems or project management systems that they have to go in and fill in how much time they worked on different jobs. Sometimes it's from the employee's perspective, it's perceived to be so disruptive. It's like babysitting, right? They want to have the freedom to just be able to go into their office at home, turn on their laptop and do what they have been hired to do without having to be accountable for what the output was. But depending on the business, it becomes really important to measure and monitor this, especially if you see your labor structure just getting out of control. And in this post-pandemic era, we're seeing margins squeezed as you know you can't pass along price increases necessarily to your customer but you're paying more for your cost of services or, and that's causing your margins to get squeezed so we're starting to have conversations around what can we do how can we get creative another idea that's coming up in conversations with our team members is whether they can outsource 
some of their labor needs, right? So finding other solutions, lower cost solutions for you to um, have the workers that you need, the key resources that you need to deliver on the services. So this is a real challenge that many business owners are facing. It's just the the rising cost of labor, the scarcity of labor and finding the right person. And then when people are working uh, remotely, measuring their productivity, knowing that you're getting out of them what it is that you're compensating them for. How can you implement systems to help you to monitor that? So those are some of the, the real, real big challenges that are really facing a lot of our clients today. Now, some of our clients in the post-pandemic era, in order for them to reinvent themselves, they're actually going into new markets. What I mean by that is they have a value proposition that maybe in pre-pandemic was focused on serving individuals like B2C business model, right? But their product is one that if they could get into the corporate arena, the B2B arena, that they're also, they would be able to uh, raise their prices, right? Because now they're dealing with a larger enterprise and bring that same or similar type of service to the business market. And so we've had clients successfully make that transition. And it was forced because during the pandemic, in the case that I'm thinking about specifically, this client had a brick and mortar storefront where the model was the individuals would come to take part of their services in the facility. Well, in the pandemic, in our state, those facilities were closed. So they lost their market. So what they did is they went to online services first. And then when the transition to online services started to prove that it could be fruitful, then they also went from online services to individual employees to online services to the companies that they work for. So now they have a new market segment, the business market. They had to redesign their whole sales approach, right? It's, it's a totally different market segment. So they had to come up with some marketing materials and, and make some introductions and, you know, talk to the, the decision maker in the business arena. Very different from having a storefront. But they were successful in making that transition. And so now their business model has shifted. When you look at their income statement, they have more income coming into their company from their relationships with businesses than they have now that they've reopened with the individuals coming into their storefront. So a lot of creativity. You have to think outside the box in order to be able to manage in this post-pandemic era. Jelaine, as you talk, it's very clear that you are a, I would say, invaluable partner to have. You, the creativity you bring, the financial acumen and vision, the strategies you bring, the businesses you work with. And so all that's there. And I also know that in addition to the numbers, you take great pride in developing leaders. And is there a moment you would share of how you've helped a leader develop themselves beyond just their business? Yeah, thank you uh, for that question. I do really enjoy developing individual leaders. And the, the one example that I would like to share with you today is of a young man that I met, gosh, it's been probably 13 years ago now, who was working with his brother in a, in a family business. And he was the CFO. But he was very young um, in his uh, life as well as in his knowledge and his career. And I was engaged to help mentor him and to also help mentor the brothers as they were growing this, this company. It's a video production company. And so we've worked together for about 13 years now. And over the course of that time, not only has the business grown from a company that was in the basement of the founder's home, literally, to a 30,000 square foot facility who is offering services in the Northwest and is a leader in the industry. So you can imagine what type of uh, responsibilities go along with that growth and including in the finance office. And so the same young man that was like going, you know, what's QuickBooks? You know, 13, <laughs> some years ago, 
truthfully is now coming to me. He's um, he's matured in his understanding of his role. He's matured in his confidence to perform the role. And he is able to gather around him advisors who are helping him now to take that one business. They're morphing into multiple legal entities as they're expanding into new business markets to serve the community and to serve the, the call that God has on their life. They happen to be all believers and we, we love God together. and We make money and serve the kingdom together. And I look at him now and he's a totally different person, right? Professionally speaking, he has the confidence and the knowledge, the ability to do the work. And so it makes me proud. Even when I get on calls with him and we go over the financials, I think often back to the times when it was just the two of us and his brother in the basement of their home um, trying to uh, figure out how to make this vision a reality. And it just really takes some time. I think it takes mentoring. It takes it takes being willing to share what you know with others. It takes being available. You know, we've had times when we cried together and um, we've rejoiced and we've celebrated together. We've overcome many challenges together, right? And I think that's what leadership development is all about. It's pouring into the life of someone else so that they can soar and they can become that person that God intended them to be. And we all need that person in our lives, you know, but I, I would say that's my one story. That's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Julian, we're going to turn to our turning point questions now. We do this in a popcorn fashion, just a sentence or two, but a way that listeners get to know you a little bit in a, maybe in a different dimension. So thinking back, is there a, an interest or a role or a career that you might also have been interested in had you had the opportunity? You know, I started out thinking I would be a doctor. Now, uh -oh. I studied animal physiology at UC Davis for four years. I thought I was going to go to med school and so on and so forth. Now, would I want that career path looking back? Absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> I think the fact that I didn't become a doctor is God's divine intervention in my life because he had something else in mind. When I think about, is there anything else I'd rather be doing today? You know, in this third turn of my life, I've landed on my destiny. I've landed on what I was born to do. And so I do it with joy. My husband told me yesterday, he says, wow, he says, I, you know, he listens to me on these Zoom calls all day. And I go from one topic to the other as I serve on nonprofit boards. And I'm also leading my accounting practice. And I'm also um, launching this business coaching practice. I have a diversity of topics and areas to address. And I get joy from it. Because I've landed on the thing that I was born to do. So it's no better work to do than that which God purposed you to do. What is a leadership lesson that you wish you had learned earlier? I wish I had learned earlier that everybody suffers from imposter syndrome. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> I thought I was the only one. Uh, <laughs> come to find out that's not true, that that is a real situation. Uh, everybody deals with it. Leaders absolutely are going to be faced with it because we are all going to be given opportunities to participate in leading in areas that we feel stretched that we feel like, oh my God, am I the right person for this particular role? And at the same time, I'm in the role. So if I had known when I was 20-something years old that imposter syndrome is a, is a real phenomenon as I was working in Price Waterhouse and walking the halls of that firm as a Black woman in San Francisco, first of all, two things. There were not a lot of Black and Brown people in the firm and women back in the day. No, accounting is a, a male-dominated and, and, dare I say, white men-dominated arena. And here I was. I like I felt like a fish out of out of water. So I had a lot of opportunities for imposter syndrome to invade the thought life of my mind. Right? Why am I here? I think it would have helped me uh, not have to wrestle so much with uh, self doubt and questioning my ability. Right? I was able. I mean, I proved myself over time that I was able. But there were moments 
when I wish I had known that I wasn't the only one walking around going, oh my goodness, am I the right person for the job? Yeah. One last question then. What is a current book you're reading and why did you choose it? Yeah, so this one I do have, Raising Capital. I'm actually, I'm really on that capital. I'm with you. I'm singing with you. I'm reading a book right now, Raising Capital. It's, It's called Get the Money You Need to Grow Your Business by Andrew Sherman. And I'm reading it because, as I mentioned earlier, in the um, G Corporation Incubator, I'm working on some asset development, some training development resources to help business owners understand that capital raising process when you're talking about talking to angels or venture capitalists doing private placements, those types of things. And so it's really it's a book that's written to the entrepreneur. And so it gives you that perspective of uh, how to prepare to pitch to an investor and what does that process look like? You know, so I'm enjoying that. It's, it's the kind of reading I do. <laughs> Jelaine, we are so grateful that you've joined us today and we wish you all the best as you invest in other businesses and other leaders. May that contribution you make just multiply to others and through others. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you guys for having me. I've enjoyed this and I look forward to maybe having some future conversations together. Yeah. Amen. For all of you who listen to the Third Term Podcast, we wish you a safe, healthy, and meaningful new year as this podcast airs. If you like what you're hearing from us, we welcome your subscription and your review on our favorite podcast platform and your sharing this resource with others. We continue to develop new cohorts for maestro-level leaders, so please reach out to us at maestro-levelleaders.com if this opportunity is knocking at your door. Josh Brinkman engineers our sound, and Jennifer Miller supports us as producer. Mark L. Vincent co-hosts with me, and I am Kristen Evenson. The Third Turn Podcast is a production of Design Group International. This is for our grandchildren's grandchildren. Good job.